As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic, joined by Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast. It's Monday, October 16th, right around 3.45 p.m. Carlos, the Hurricanes dropped their second game in a row, 41-31 at North Carolina. They had the lead at halftime, and then basically uh, Carolina made some adjustments Went with a little bit faster pace, shut down Miami's run game, and then the Canes just turned it over uh, a bunch, and the game got away from them. And so now they are 4-2, and 0-2 in league play, essentially eliminated uh, for all intents and purposes from, from probably reaching the ACC championship game unless they upset FSU and they get some help from other people along the way. So um, we're going to talk about that game, what happened. We're going to look ahead to this week's game against Clemson, Miami trying to avoid an 0-6 start at home in ACC play under Mario Cristobal. So that's a big storyline, right? Hey, got to gotta learn how to win games at home against good teams. Uh, we got a mailbag and then... Just, just any team. What do you mean good teams? They're 0-6 <laughs> in, in the conference. They, they lost. They got their asses kicked by Duke last year. I mean, come on, man. Anybody. I know, I know you're not happy. We're going to get... We're gonna. I know you got a lot to say, too. I'm sure you, you're feeling a, a little uh, extra chipper this week after, after that loss. Um, we got the mailbag questions we're going to answer, the midseason report we're going to do. Um, but let's start with Carolina and your biggest takeaway from the game and why Miami's 0-2 in league play right now. The last two weeks, they're, they're 0-2 in league play because they're minus seven in the turnover department. That's first and foremost. Second, they've been outcoached in the second half of both of those games. I think Georgia Tech and Carolina adjusted at halftime very well and started taking it to the Hurricanes in the second half. And I think the the sort of foundation for doing that to the Hurricanes was running the ball right at them, specifically between the guard and center. Um, you know, I, I went over it on my podcast. One of the things that the Hurricanes need to stop or look out for, two main things. A-gap runs, meaning runs between the center and guard on either side, but specifically on the left side, because that's where Amari and Hampton was getting most of his big plays, which is hard to fathom when you're running inside zone and inside 
uh, you know, the center and the guard and getting big explosive plays, but that's where he was making his living. And two, defending the deep ball and the the, the deep middle ball. Uh, so defending a deep pass over 20 yards down the middle of the field and anything between 10 and 19 in the middle of the field because that's where Carolina likes to attack. Even going back to last year and the year before, they like to attack the center of the field. That's where they feel comfortable. And uh, unfortunately, that's where the Hurricanes gave stuff up. They didn't adjust their coverages to take away the deep middle of the field. Uh, they also had a couple blown coverages in that area. And they did not adjust in terms of their front to try and stop Carolina from running inside. They didn't pinch their tackles. They didn't twist inside. They didn't do enough A-gap blitzing with their linebackers. Some run blitzes to try and force them to run outside where they can chase that down and make Amari and Hampton run sideline to sideline. And that was really the big difference. Um, On top of that, the other thing that really pissed me off, which going into the game I said also on my podcast, this is why you guys got to be listening. Okay, self-plug is where you guys got to be listening. I'm, I'm hitting all these things that Miami needed to go with more four wide receiver sets to open up the field, not only for the passing game, because you got to get more athletes on the field. You got guys like Richard Smith. You got guys like Ray Ray uh, Joseph. You got uh, Tyler Harrell. You got um, Isaiah Horton, guys that can get run, can, can make plays if they get the ball in the open field, but also it's going to open up the run game inside uh, for you because you're spreading the field a little bit more. This double tight end bullshit that the Hurricanes are running with one guy that's just basically a mannequin and Cam McCormick, a battering ram that has no ability to catch the football, and Riley Riley Williams, that's a young pup that really doesn't know what he's doing yet, and they're not even looking his way, then what's the purpose of it? For that, go four wide, one back, spread the field, and and use that to your advantage, and they just haven't been able to do that. I'm just really disappointed with both coordinators after this game. Uh, I don't think they've adjusted well in ACC play. I think they're doing a lot of the same things over and over again and expecting for it to continue to work and not making any adjustments, which is surprising to me because I felt like they did that better at the beginning of the season. That was a lot to digest there, brother. But I know you 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 you've been it's you've like been a, it's up. like a noche buena meal, bro. I, I bring you the I bring you the ham, I bring you the lechon, I bring you the turkey, I bring you the rice, the beans, the tones. You gotta you gotta digest it. Find a way. Do it. Well I'm gonna try to lighten the mood a little bit because I met some really cool people in uh, Chapel Hill over the weekend uh, from the Canes United uh, group. And and these guys go on the road together from all over the country. Uh, Sammy Canones, who's who's been one of my loyal readers for a long time, messaged me on Twitter. He says, come by uh, the tailgate pregame. Bring Susan Miller-Dagnan and Adam Lichtenstein from the Herald and the Sentinel with you. Bring Carlos if he's around. And there were, I got to tell you, there were a lot of people who were disappointed you weren't with me. I think they really wanted to see you there. Uh, a, so you can take some shots uh, and get drunk with them and have some fun, which, by the way, I did I did take a shot with some fans pregame. That was uh, off of an ice sculpture, of all things. That was that was entertaining. Beautiful. But besides all that, I think they just enjoy your presence on the podcast. And, and I had a lot of people, you know, tell me you're one of the funniest guys that does podcast, period. Well, I imagine that they, they take a lot of shots off the ice sculpture before they listen to the show. And that's why they happen to think I'm kind of funny. Uh, the other thing is we we just haven't told the people yet. I'm just really an AI generated image. I'm not really That's real. Right. Really Correct. Here, which is why Correct. I don't go to the games. Um, but you know, funny enough, uh, I actually had one of those ice sculptures on my wedding, and uh, I was late to do that like garter thing mm-hmm. uh, because I was stuck at the ice sculpture just huffing down shots of vodka down the slide. Down the slide, right? Yeah, and I, and so that was a good time. I want to thank Sammy and all the people from Canes United for inviting me over. Uh, Cuban Lou. Uh, who who uh, he he caters these parties? Been doing this for like fifteen years. He gave me a huge plate of food. 
Uh, people were just giving stuff away, happy to see Miami sports writers. They weren't happy with the result in the end. I think a lot of people were upset like you were that Miami lost that game 41 to 31 after after leading at the half 17-14. But I also think they recognize that, uh, you know, this is a work in progress uh, in year two for Mario. He's now nine and nine overall as a coach. And I've had a lot of people point out that Manny Diaz and others were had a better record. I think Randy Shannon was 10 and eight. Uh, Mario uh, nine and nine, but really only because he didn't take a knee against Georgia Tech. Otherwise, he'd be ten and eight, just like Manny Diaz too. So <laughs> I know I killed you with that one, Carlos. <laughs> it's been killing me for two weeks. But by the way, uh, if you listen to my podcast, uh, I just uploaded a rant by Raul. He called me, left me a voicemail, so I uploaded okay. that. He he went off for like nine minutes. So if you guys want to hear that, enjoy Raul on my podcast. But listen, they're four and two. They're probably going to end up somewhere between eight and four and seven and five. And I hate to hit you with the Herm Edwards men, but they are who we thought they were at the beginning of the season. You know, I got a little excited, you know, after starting four and oh, I thought they may be, you know, nine and three, 10 and two. But uh, we, I said eight and four before the season started, and you were saying seven and five. So, yeah, I went back and I listened to our preseason predictions podcast right before the Miami of Ohio game. And I remember saying seven and five, this team isn't ready to win yet. There's still things that they've got to outgrow. I will say this again, they should be five and one. So if yeah. if, if they're five and one, they're probably on their way to nine and three or 10 and two. But they gave a game away, which we all thought they would, because that's what Miami does. They lose games they're not supposed to. And so they gave Georgia Tech away. This game, though, I will say, Carlos, I think North Carolina was the better team. And, I, and I'm going to say it in two specific positions, quarterback and wide receiver. I think Drake May and Tez Walker were better than Tyler Van Dyke and Xavier Restrepo. And I think, you know, after the game was over, I was there on the field. I got to watch the end of it. Xavier Restrepo was, I mean, he was spent. 17 targets in this game. I, I don't know how many catches it was, 11 or something like that. Uh, I mean, Tyler was just looking for him all game long. And I kept like, I, as we walked away and we walked off the field, like I was like, is it just me or for all the changes Mario has done to this roster and improvements? And we're going to get to that in our midseason report because they have improved statistically everywhere. Okay. Compared to last yeah. year. But my biggest takeaway was why are they still counting on the usual suspects? Right? Like, Xavier Strebel's been here four years. Tyler Van Dyke has been here four years. You bring in all this new blood. Where's Tyler Harrell? Right? You go on the transfer portal, you bring him in. Where's Shamar Kirk? Um, I know Mark Fletcher's hurt, okay? And there's some news on that today. Mario talked about that today. Um, like, is it me, Carlos, or are we not seeing, like, the coordinators, and you said you were upset with them, are we not seeing a new enough new blood maybe on the offensive side? I don't know that it's not enough new blood. What I, I think we're not utilizing enough weapons on yeah. offense, particularly. I think you're coming into this with a game plan. Like let's let's put it this way. I mean, Bashard Smith already had a 95 yard kickoff return for a touchdown. Every time he touches the ball, he's explosive. How the hell do you not get that guy the football more? Do you not see him like a mini cheetah, like a mini Tyreek Hill? Right? He could be that kind of a player. And what do the Miami Dolphins do? with their playmakers, right? The Dolphins aren't running complicated stuff, okay? What the Dolphins are doing, especially in the run game, is they're running regular power, counter, lead, sweep. But how do they get to those plays is different with their motion, their formation, and their alignment. 
And that's how you confuse defenses. How often did the Hurricanes motion in this game? Very few times, from what I recall. Yeah. Yeah. How many times did they use orbit motions like they have in the past or return motions like the Dolphins do? You haven't seen any of that. You also don't see any shifts out of this team. You're seeing a lot of static formations out of this team going two by two or going with that two tight end set and nobody moves. And the defense is just sitting there waiting for what's coming, right? And they're running route concepts at these people that don't take advantage of the zones. They don't do anything to stress the zone. They're running right at the coverages. So I don't know what Shannon Dawson's doing, but this isn't the dynamic offense that I've seen from Houston. Houston motions. Houston shifted. Houston did a lot of things. So to me, it tells me that he really wasn't the offense coordinator last year, like everybody was saying. It was really Dana Holgerson uh, who was calling plays. So that's an issue to me. Like, how do you not create opportunities for your playmakers to get the ball more often? What happened in the fourth quarter when you started going four, four wide, one back, and really started stressing the defense and looking for Tyler Harrow and looking for Brashard Smith and even Isaiah Horton? These guys are making plays. So you've got all this talent sitting on the bench like they did last year with Colby Young, and you're not utilizing And then Colby Young can't get open because they rotate coverage over the top to him to make sure he doesn't beat him down the field. Then the only thing you have available to you is Jacoby George on occasion, which what they ended up doing is being smart. If we're going to press, we're going to press Jacoby George and get right in his face because he weighs 110 pounds. And then, you know, try to try to hit Restrepo at some point. But the other thing is you're you're not creating route concepts that could take advantage of other things. And and how many RPOs have we seen this season? I don't remember seeing an RPO this season. Right. Right. And if they have, it's been one to three at most. These are basic plays that every team has in their package, especially teams that like to spread it out and throw the ball. If you're talking about an air raid team, air raid teams have now adopted RPOs as part of their system. There should be an RPO. You got to put the defensive conflict. How many bubble screens have we seen this season? I, mean, I don't not remember many, many at all. Yeah. I don't remember many. All we're doing is a quick screen. That's it. So you're not stressing the defense laterally. The only quick toss, quick throw you're doing to a quick wide receiver is that quick wide receiver screen. That's the only thing you're doing. You're not doing a now screen, which is him just turning and catching the ball and getting up field. You're not doing a bubble screen. You're not stressing the defense both horizontally and vertically, and that's a problem. Um, you're not looking to create opportunities for other playmakers by drawing up plays for them, creating opportunities to get them the football in creative ways. You're not doing any of that. You're static on offense, and that to me is disturbing. It's not that there's a lack of playmakers or lack of new blood being used. It's even when they are in the game, they're not getting the football. Do it. Brashard Smith, who we started this rant on, has 11 targets this season. He is fourth on the team. Uh, next on the list up is Colby Young with 31, Jacoby George with 40, and Xavier Restrepo now with 61 targets on the year. I talked to Tyler about I guess, sort of his progressions. He just says, look, there's a lot of times where Xavier is either his first or second read and what he's taught to do in this offense ultimately, right, is is get the ball to the receiver in space. But I think to your general point, Carlos, with, of everything you just talked about, there probably needs to be a little bit more creativity from the offensive quarter. Now that said, they don't fumble at the goal line in the first quarter or the second quarter, whenever the hell it was in the first half. Uh, they probably scored 38 points. 38 points should be good enough to win. They're a top 20 scoring team in the country. They're doing their job. It just feels like they're making mistakes at the most inopportune times. And the turnovers, as you mentioned, nine turnovers in two games, you can't win many games like that. And They would again, have 38 points, but remember, they got a couple of garbage touchdowns in that fourth quarter where Carolina yeah. had to stop playing on defense. So right. that's not that that 10-point margin to me is a little – inflated it, it's a little deceiving because they were down 21 going into the fourth okay fair enough 
I think, you know, on the defensive end and, and Lance uh, Gidry talked about this today, obviously he had the mental, the screw up, right. Where he got flagged on fourth and one that led to a touchdown. He came out, he was trying to call timeout. Basically he said he, he didn't see the, the referee on the field because normally the referee is behind the center, right. When, when teams are trying to substitute and trying to make the change, um, you know, on defense to delay the snap. And, and, and I guess the referee was on the defensive side of the ball. He didn't see him. He walked out and was trying to call timeout. And ultimately he thinks he got the flag because he took his headset off. He was pissed. He was trying to get the right person on the field. Frustrating moment. Another moment where you say, man, the coaches blew it for this team. It cost him seven points. Um, but the bigger thing Gidry talked about was how much North Carolina's pace ultimately affected Miami's defense and how uh, the conditioning led to, you know, uh, the fact that they had guys getting tired uh, led to some of those big runs Carolina had in the second half, uh, led to Miami only having one sack in the second half. Again, big picture wise, Carolina's coordinators made adjustments that beat Miami. And as you said, in, in, in the Georgia Tech game, same thing sort of happened, right? I mean, third quarter, go back. Miami was up 3 nothing at the half. They had a 10 nothing lead. Georgia Tech's coordinators did what they were supposed to do and kept themselves in the game. So for everybody who's saying, you know, the coaching has been great, I think we can also look at these last two examples and say, yeah, it's not good enough. And if it was better, Miami be at least 5-1 and one right now, maybe 6-0. and oh. Yeah, and I mean, that Gidry thing, man. It's fourth down, you're running out onto the field. He's he's like 15 yards onto the field. He's getting to the hash mark. And it's like, dude, what are you doing, bro? What are you doing? This yeah. isn't high school football. This is you're not gonna get away with this kind of crap. Like, why do that? You know, just just the, the head coach is over there. He can call a timeout too. Like somebody's near an official somewhere where you don't have to sprint on the field. Right. Like you're uh you're like you're you're the guy from the family guy that's rubbed in baby oil, just sprinting across the town half naked. Like that's not that's not gonna help. You don't I know you're from Louisiana, but don't do the thing that uh you know, don't act like the guy in the stands from the water boy, like twisting his his nipple rings, ah, running onto the field. Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> That's not going to help us. The mental, uh, the mental images. The other thing is, I mean, it may seem inconsequential because they scored on that play, um, but Mario declining the holding penalty when it was third and twenty after the incompletion. Yeah. Instead of making it second and thirty, to me, I thought was a mistake from the get go because here's what happens: Carolina is still within field goal range. If they gain another five to ten yards, they they solidify themselves being in field goal range, even if right. it's third and twenty. You're allowing them to try and kick and get an extra three points within their range. So what does Gidry do? He decides we're going to stop them from trying to gain any yardage. We're going to press this and be aggressive. We're going to bring pressure and play man to try and stop a completion. Well, what happens? They get beat by Tez Walker again on another post. The problem with that is if you back them up to second and 30, now you've got that cushion where you don't have to be as aggressive defensively with your coverage. You could play a little bit looser. You could come up to the ball. You could stop them and still keep them out of field goal range on two downs. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know why he declined that. I guess I, the theory was, you know, better be third and 20, one play to get off the field than two more to allow them to gain uh, 30 yards. But geez, man. I was just going to say, I, I thought the game plan Gidry came up with of, of, you know, we talked about this pregame, but basically rattling Drake May in ways that he hadn't really been rattled. They hit him. I mean, they sacked him four times. They hit him hard. At one point, he decided to slide. And 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 Gidry today uh, in his press conference said, you know, they felt like they had him rattled. The difference was as soon as Carolina started playing with pace and lining up quickly and getting the line of scrimmage, 
and snapping the ball quickly, it totally discombobulated Miami, which makes me think, well, why weren't they prepared for that, right? And Gidry today said they do practice for up-tempo offenses, but they only do about four plays in a row like that uh, in practice versus an entire series where they're out there 11, 12 plays and everything is going fast. So um, bottom line is they didn't get the job done. The defense had its worst day of the season against <laughs> arguably the best quarterback they'll face all year. Um, and so they're four and two now. And I think, and, and I'll be honest, I'll be honest. The pace to me, wasn't the difference. The difference was Carolina running it right at Miami and dominating their front seven okay. and pushing them off the bottom. The pace had a little bit to do with it, but I mean, they're supposed to be really in really good shape because of the fourth quarter program. What happened to that? I mean, yeah. and this bullshit of, oh, we only practice four plays of pace. Everybody plays with a little bit of pace. Yeah, Carolina picked it up a little bit, but it wasn't significantly faster that made you say, oh, my God, these guys are really going super fast. No, right. what they were doing was just hammering the ball like Georgia Tech did in the second half to start uh, against Miami, just hammering the ball inside the garden center and making them making those defensive tackles that we said were undersized to begin with at the beginning of the year, that everybody laughed at us, especially after the first four games. Oh, they're number one in rushing defense. Okay, welcome to the ACC. Now you're playing offensive <laughs> linemen that can bull people over. And yeah. look at what happens. Well, and I, and I got news for you. Uh, Will Shipley and Phil Moff are pretty good. Uh, they're they're, uh, they're probably the... better. <laughs> yeah, Phil Moff is a big beast uh, back there, 220 pounds. Shipley is one of the best running backs in the country. Uh, and, and that's the challenge this week. And Kate Klubnick, uh, you know, Lance Gidry said today is one of the fastest quarterbacks, maybe the fastest quarterback they'll face in terms of speed. So it it, it is going to be a challenge this week against Clemson. They've got a top, you know, 20 defense in a lot of categories, uh, especially in their front seven. So you think about Miami and the fact that they had minus two rushing yards in the second half against Carolina on 10 carries. They, they basically abandoned it because they fell behind by so much. But you know, they didn't have 100 yards rushing against Carolina. Guys have been fumbling the football, right? Henry Paris Jr. just fumbled. Uh, Don Chaney Jr. Uh, had the one before. Obviously, they killed him against Georgia Tech. A.J. Allen, you put him in there. Uh, you, you know, he's he's obviously a talented player, but I, I made the joke during the middle of the broadcast that Don Solinger took his shoe off and threw it at the TV when he saw A.J. Allen try to pass block and uh, get run over there. So, <laughs> yeah. Again, like a lot, I think a lot of these concerns, things that you and I talked about in the preseason, right? Like the Texas AM game, the, the win, the 4 0 start, as you said, I think it made us all sort of forget, well, this team's better than we thought they were going to be. And the reality is, some of the, some of the deficiencies that have arisen, um, you know, it happens when you play better competition. It, it, these are league, you know, the ACC, for all the jokes that people make uh, about the league and it's not good and this and that. Um, they had a pretty good record this year in, uh, in in Power Five games. They won some games against the SEC this year, including Miami. So, I, I think you know Georgia Tech. I didn't think they would necessarily be a team that wins more than six games, but they stayed on the field with Miami for the entire first half and 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 came back to beat them at the end because of a boneheaded coaching decision. It's not like they're terrible. Um, and and this game, Carolina. I mean, this is their first undefeated start since 1997. They beat South Carolina. You know, they they. They struggled against App State, but they've beaten everybody they've had in front of them so far. And they dominated Syracuse, uh, who was, who was, I think, a better team, uh, you know, at least probably a bowl team this year. So, again, uh, the competition has gone up. It's going to go up this week. And I'm worried even, for Miami. Even the games that people are, like, checking boxes, they're going to be a win. Yeah. Pitt just beat Louisville. Yeah. Bad. 
And it's yeah. like you don't Pit, get a Pit, you don't get a Pit break. not on the schedule this year, thankfully for me. <laughs> yeah, no, but I'm saying like yeah, what I'm saying is these aren't games that you could just any game in the league play is going to be difficult. It's not going to be a walk, except for probably Virginia. But you know, who knows? Well, they got to win. They 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 took care of business against William and Mary a couple of weeks ago. So they, at least they're they're not winless anymore. Um, couple notes from today: Tyler Van Dyke uh, dealing with a bit of a, a right knee injury. He had his knee wrapped with ice. Uh, Susan Miller Degnan, my colleague at the Herald, uh, reported. Uh, Mario Cristobal didn't like his her question um, because you know anytime you ask about your quarterback and 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 you know having his right knee banged up. He doesn't want to hear that. I can tell you from seeing Tyler up close on Saturday, again, much like Xavier Strepo, physically beat up, right? Tough game, lost. Uh, he, he, you know, he got hit in the chest when he delivered that 35-yard touchdown pass to Jacoby George. Uh, got hit really, really hard. I think he, he kind of hurt the knee a little bit when he ran out of bounds and got hit there. Um, but Cristobal says he's going to play. And this is the time of year where you're in the middle of the season, quite literally, uh, everybody's dealing with bumps and bruises. I think Tyler's playing. Uh, he did say that he tore three ligaments in his uh, right index finger um, before the season started. So that was why he had his right index finger taped up in the first couple games. He says it doesn't hurt him as much anymore. He's kind of gotten used to it as the season's gone on. But again, your quarterback, who I think is still a top 10 quarterback in passing efficiency. I got to look at the numbers again. Yes, he's thrown a lot of interceptions, but he's also putting his guts out there every single week. And I know there's some people, Carlos, at least on my timeline, who've been saying, bench his ass, put Emory Williams in. I'm tired of the Tyler Van Dyke era. I ask you, what do you what do you say to all of that? He still de- delivers a ball with accuracy and velocity. If you saw that out and up that he threw to Xavier Restrepo, that thing was a dime. Um, he underthrew, uh, I think it was Colby Young on a post. I it was, but every other pass that he's throwing, he's delivering accurately. And on time, un- unless you know he obviously throws it into a defender's hands. But to me, I don't think it's he's he's been he it's he's not deserving of benching at this point. He's turned the ball over because he just doesn't process zones well, and his offensive coordinator I don't think is putting him in the best position to succeed. I think in certain instances, uh, Tyler when he feels uncomfortable, he goes straight to Xavier Restrepo, zeroes in on where he's at on the field, and tries to get him the ball come hell or high water, then that's what happens. What an offensive coordinator needs to do is have him, have the quarterback feel comfortable enough to go to other receivers and progressions and find other opportunities to deliver the ball to playmakers through other concepts that makes it easy on him. Like I was saying, RPOs, bubble screens, quick screens, hitches, slants, things that make you, that are quick throws that are easy to deliver and that work against most coverages. Um, but these longer route concepts that they're running and sometimes running right into coverage are not helping Tyler Van Dyke. Is he making mistakes because he stares receivers down, particularly Xavier Restrepo? Absolutely. He's done that since he was a freshman. He has not worked on that. His eye discipline is not great. But then you need to counter that. You need to create one, two route, two-man route concepts or quicker read schemes to allow him to get rid of the football quicker and get the ball in playmakers' hands. Now, the other thing you can't do is get in third and long situations where now you have to come out with more long developing route concepts that he has to read across the field because that hurts you. So you need to stay ahead of the chain to be able to do that. So I think it's not an issue of just Tyler Van Dyke. Yes, Tyler Van Dyke has made mistakes. He's thrown interceptions, but he's thrown a lot of touchdowns too and for a lot and thrown for a lot of yards. The thing is the offensive coordinator and the running game have to help him as well. They do. 
Dawson said this was his second best performance of the season behind Texas A&M. I know he threw for like almost 400 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, he basically Dawson said that he had three bad plays against uh, North Carolina, but hung in there. And he said the throw to George is as elite as he's ever seen. And I got to agree. I mean, that that was an unbelievable yeah. uh, stay in the pocket. That was an NFL throw. couple more notes on injuries. Cristobal said Mark Fletcher, doubtful for this week. Probably more likely to come back against uh, Virginia a week from now. Um, tight ends, you know, haven't been involved much. Elijah Royal did get in the game for six snaps in this game. Um, and I saw him uh, put it a beautiful seal block. Uh, on the third series to help uh, spring a, like a seven or eight yard run by Henry Parrish. Uh, obviously didn't have any balls thrown his way, but they're expecting him to be much more involved. Uh, and they and they need him, Carlos, because we, we talked about this in the last podcast, the fact that there are very few balls going to tight ends and running backs. It feels like it makes the defense uh, have a, have the upper hand here. Um, you know, not, not a lot of element of surprise. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I missed from today. Lance Guidry said this, uh, a win cures everything. Let's transition to Clemson and maybe some other topics here, the midseason report. Does a win cure everything? A win against Clemson this week cure everything in your mind? I think it helps. It helps a lot because you're you're now five and two and in a position where you probably would hope that's where you would have been at this point in the schedule. You replace the loss um, to Georgia Tech to a loss with Clemson. Right, so you expected to lose to Clemson and North Carolina, essentially coming to the season. So you make that uh, Georgia Tech loss a wash, essentially. Yeah. So maybe that helps some. I think it helps from a confidence standpoint if you beat Clemson, because although they're having a down year and they've got two losses already, I think this is the best defense Miami has faced to this point in the season. Uh, I think they're ranked eighth against the run in the country, Clemson, in terms of yards per game. They're ranked 14th against against the pass. It's going to be a challenge to get receivers open against Clemson because they're top four corners are big and athletic. They're all between six feet and six, two between one eighty and one ninety five. These are big, long athletic dudes. They got big safeties. They got big athletic linebackers that come up and stick you. They got a really good defensive line. This is probably, like I said, the best defense they've faced to this point. Uh, so if they can move the football and get a win here, then it's a, it's a big, uh, a big change in the season, a sea, a sea change, because you've got some momentum now going forward. Hopefully, get a second win in a row against Virginia, and then you line up against Florida State uh, with a chance to maybe still control your own destiny within the ACC if you get some help. But offensively, for Clemson, also, you know, you're going to have Will Shipley and, and, like you said, what uh, the other running back, the other big Moffa, yeah, Moffa coming downhill at you, and that's a tough combo along with Club Nick in the run game. So. Whoever wins, whoever wins the battle in the trenches this week, whoever runs the football better, I think is going to win the game. Clemson is a three-point favorite, according to the betting line from what I just saw here. Uh, they obviously have killed Miami the last several years, including 40-10 to 10 last year in Death Valley, although that game was a little bit more lopsided because of a couple of late touchdowns. But they've won four straight in the series, all by 25 points or more, 178-30 to 30 over the four-game span, including the 2017 ACC Championship game. This is a big game for Mario because, uh, and I wrote this in my column afterward and, and mentioned it earlier today, to start 0-6 at home in league play would be something that would get used against Miami quite a bit um, by the opposition, and it's already being used. I, I've seen some of the FSU and UF Twitter people sort of highlighting the fact that uh, they have a great player like Ruben Bain, who's a freshman, 
and and people they're sort of phrasing it like you know they saw him crying after the game some of the video clips the tears and they're saying man look look at this guy he's wasting his career at Miami he should be somewhere else um again we live in a different era right NIL transfers all kinds of things and people you know are going to do what they got to do to hurt you this competition to to get elite players Miami beats Clemson i think they shut a lot of that up um for all the reasons we discussed already um, they lose, and I think that only gets louder. How much pressure do you sense is on Mario Cristobal going into this game? I don't know that it's any more than it was going into North Carolina. I think following that loss to Georgia Tech, the way they lost, he felt like he needed to get a win and get his program you know, back on track and right to ship and get the narrative changed. I think it's equal to what he was facing against North Carolina. I think from now on, every game is going to be pressure-packed. And it's going to get ratcheted up another notch when he goes to play Florida State, just because it's a rivalry game. And that's your direct competitor when it comes to recruitment uh, here in the state of Florida, along with the University of Florida. But Florida State is obviously dominating that right now. So to me, it's equal from last week. I don't think it's any more intense pressure. I think he's got to win just to prove himself. Uh, Week to week, he's got to show that he can win in this league, that he can improve this team. Now, let's say they end up eight and four. Objectively, that's a a really good turnaround. That's a 3-1 improvement from a season ago. You flipped the roster. You made some changes. You got yourself a 3-1 improvement. And now you're trending upwards. And hopefully you land a top 10 recruiting class to go along with that. And now your momentum's going forward. I think anything less than 8-4, you've got yourself a problem. But, I mean, they're staring down the barrel of another 4-4 four four league season, which has been the average around here for a long time. 5-3, and 4-4 four and four for the last 20 years. So it's not so much the pressure of beating Clemson. To me, it's the pressure of doing more in, the, in conference than you have and then most coaches have 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 done down here for a very long time looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Carlos, um, I'm probably going to need to do another episode this week and maybe get those Canes United uh, fans on there to make this a little cheerier because I, I can hear the people already on YouTube screaming at us, man, you guys are so negative, blah, 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 blah. Look, we'll, we, we we sort of respond to what happens here with this program as it goes week to week to week. We try to to, to paint the picture of what's going on. I share as much information as I know uh, that, I, that I can share uh, in regards to where this team is, injuries, et cetera. So I, I hope I've, I've updated you at least from that perspective going into this Clemson game. Maybe maybe break down the Clemson game a little more if we do another podcast later this week. But I want to get to our midseason report and then our mailbag, Carlos, because uh, we've been at this for a while now. Um, the Athletic is having me write this for Wednesday, uh, a midseason report. It includes surprises, key stats, predictions, all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to I figured you and I can can do the same thing here. I got some categories for you. All right. Um, 
Let's try and make it cheery too. So I can maybe I'll use a more cheery tone of voice. See if that helps. <laughs> What's been the biggest surprise, uh, whether it be a player position group, mm-hmm. um, what would you say has been the biggest surprise for this team this year? So I'm going to keep it, you know, positive. I'm going to make you guys happy. I'm not going to pee on your parade. Uh, you know, not point out that this team's 0-2 again in league play to start off. Not going to point out all the bad things that have happened. What I'm going to say is I'm extremely surprised, not extremely surprised, but surprised, pleasantly surprised at how good Ruben Bain is. Yes. Right as a freshman. He is mm-hmm. dominant. That kid has a chance to be one of the best defensive linemen here uh, that have come through the University of Miami just the way he's played as a freshman. He's outshined Leonard Taylor. He's outshined other guys on that line, on the defensive line uh, that were supposed to be better than him and and older guys and veterans. He's just a, a spectacular player with a great motor, great heart. Kid plays hard every down, and I'd love to see it. I agree with you. I think he's certainly been the, the 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 most pleasant surprise. And I think part of the reason you've seen so much of him, obviously, is Akeem Mesidor's injury. Uh, Mesidor was at the game in street clothes. I don't know that he's any closer to coming back. Uh, Carlos, I don't know how serious the injury really is, but I think he's a kid that probably wanted to go pro after this year. And I'm not sure that he can because he, he needs to put more, more on film. So maybe he comes back and plays a few games. But ultimately, uh, Bain has been the story. And I and I sat here, by the way, and I broke down a bunch of numbers and snap counts and all that. Um, first of all, nobody has played more snaps in Miami's um, front line, their defensive line, than Ruben Bain to this point. 235 snaps for the true freshman, um, four starts. He is 14th among all power five edge rushers in terms of his overall grade. He's an 81.8 PFF grade, which is sensational. Um, And he's just a true freshman. I can tell you I'm picking the uh, freshman All-American team for the athletic with Max Olsen, my colleague. Pretty good shot. He and Francis Maui Go are going to make that team. Um, So very deserving, uh, performing at a super high level. And uh, to me, deserves a lot of credit. I would. I'm going to do it from the opposite side here, and I'm going to go since you there went. You go, Manny. Since there you go. went king, positive, the I, king of ping on parades. You just you just stand on top of buildings. <laughs> you you love drinking a gallon of Gatorade, standing on top of buildings in New York, and just peeing down on the Macy's Day Parade. That's what you like to do. Yes, that's right. That's abs- absolutely correct. It's what I do. I, and, and this is more of a, a of a, a team category thing, and we've talked about this already. The fact that tight end you has been tight end disappeared you this season. Tight end who? Tight end who? Exactly. You see, you, you said it better than I did. Uh, obviously, Elijah Royo six snaps is a big reason why. Um, but I for sure thought somebody would be catching the ball for this team at the tight end position, just because of the history, the fact that it's had so much success. I was not expecting for Miami's tight ends to get to the midway point of the season and have one catch. Uh, okay, a total of 12 catches, three catches, five catches, a total of five catches for 40. Hold on. I'm doing the math. And 28 is 50, uh, 68 and nine, 75 yards and one touchdown, five catches, 75 yards, one touchdown from the tight end position. And and again, this offense has done phenomenal. I'm going to read some, some – I'm going to make it cheery again for everybody, okay? I'm going to read some stats here for Miami. 
They've improved from 97th in scoring to 13th in scoring. Okay, 37.7 points a game. Their average yards per play has gone from 89th, 5.34 a year ago, to 7th in the country, 7.33. They have 40 explosive plays of 20 yards or more. Last year, they had 42 for the whole season, and they're already at 40 halfway through. Your quarterback rating, uh, 11th in the country. Last year, it was 85th. Completion percentage, 12th best in the country. It was 61st. Um, Passing attempt yards, 15th in the country. They were 83rd a year ago. Touchdowns, 15th uh, 15th this season. They were 80th last year. 16 touchdown passes. They had 18 for the whole year last year. We're at the halfway point. They're 15th in rushing yards per game, 5.41. They were 95th a year ago, 3.74. That's just on offense. But the stunning thing is the tight ends aren't involved more. And I guess for me, I was expecting more from that position. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, the shocking thing is that somehow Jaleel Skinner can't get on the field. Um, You know, we saw him last year. He was such a great weapon that they used towards the end of the season. Athletic guy can get down the field, but I guess he's just not doing what he needs to do in practice to get on the field um, and be able to be a contributor to this team because that's that would be a huge help. Um, Aside from that, you know, the other, I will say another positive thing, another surprise to me is the play of Jacoby George. He's really stepped up and become more consistent. You know, his his thing was he's always shown flashes of ability and, and great ability to make big plays, but his consistency wasn't there. His focus lacked. And uh, this year we've seen him step up a lot and make a lot of big plays and, and had sort of help distribute the ball when Tyler isn't staring down Xavier Rustrup. Um <laughs> But to to me, in terms of the offense, yes, they've done some great things, but there's still a lot of room for improvement. And if you can make those improvements, if you could find a way to also get the running backs involved in the passing game too, not just the tight end, to make some of the adjustments that I said with the motions, with the RPOs and things like that, there's still a lot of room to grow, which means this team, they're, they're, they haven't hit their ceiling. They're not even close to it. They have the ability to still push further offensively and defensively, which means if they could get this win, win against Clemson and start to figure things out, Maybe the season ends a little bit different, differently than we're anticipating. But again, to this point, lots of improvement, but there's still a lot of room to grow. Uh, a couple more stats because I wanted to share some of these. Uh, third down conversions, they're 28th in the country. They're at 46% clip. Uh, they were 55th a year ago, 40%. Red zone touchdown percentage, that's the one area that you look at statistically, it's not that big of an improvement. They're 78th. 58%. Last year, they were 54%, 101st. But offensive line, only six sacks given up by the actual offensive line this year. Okay. They gave up 20 a year ago. Pressures, they're ranked 31st out of all the FBS teams. Last year they were 86th. Um tackles for loss. Uh they're they're ranked 20th. They're only giving up four tackles per loss per game. A year ago it was closer to six. Sacks as a team. Uh they ranked 24th, 1.33 allowed per game. A year ago they were 109th, giving up uh over three sacks a game. Uh, the turn to me, it's turnovers, red zone execution, little things like that is, is obviously what hurt them against Georgia Tech, what hurt them here against North Carolina. They they don't fumble there. Their red zone touchdown percentage is better uh, than what it is. So um, defensive side of the ball, uh, scoring defense, they're 25th. Last year, they were 67th uh, yards per play. They're 36th this year. A year ago, they were 103rd um, opponent quarterback uh, rating. Last year, they were 102nd, Carlos. This year, they're 32nd. I mean, there's so many areas they've gotten better. Completion percentage by the opposing quarterback, down 6%. Uh, They're 21st in the country. They were 80th a year ago. 
passing touchdowns allowed. Uh, they're 34th. Eight allowed. Last year, they gave up 20. So they're under the, the rate that they gave up a year ago. Um, they were 121st last year in passing yards, passing yards allowed per attempt, 8.3. They're, they're down to 41st, 6.8, top 50. Rushing yards per play, uh, 19th. A year ago, they were 63rd. Um, so a lot of areas, again, that that you can sit here and say so much better than a year ago. But I guess when you lose by not taking a knee and you turn the ball over nine times in two weeks, it leaves you a little frustrated because you think they should have been better. Should have yeah, won and the, to me, the biggest the biggest disappointment is they came in with a really good game plan to rattle Drake May to get him on the ground, which I thought was necessary, not just creating pressures. If you pressure Drake May and you don't hit him, you don't take him to the ground, you don't sack him, it's not going to make a big difference because if he's he's elusive enough that he can deal with pressure and he's talented enough to make throws under duress. But when you're pounding him and you're hitting him, you're getting him on the ground, you're throwing off his rhythm, he, he looked uncomfortable most of the game except for the times he was hitting big plays. And it's a shame that that got lost because of you know the turnovers and, and the way the, t- the game ended up changing for the hurricanes because it was a good defensive plan. And I think it a good offensive plan to start, but then they didn't adjust and, and that's where it went downhill. So I think that's the theme. I think they're, they're get, they've gotten to a point where yes, they're improved, but there needs to be some tweaks to be able to get it to the next level. And how do you get there? Uh, do you, are your coordinators good enough and savvy enough and self-aware enough to make the changes that are necessary to get there? Are you going to start seeing some more bodies rotate in and seeing some more changes uh, offensively and defensively? To, to help them get to that next level. And then maybe pull the upset against Clemson and see what happens against Florida State because it's a rivalry game. You never know. All right. Uh, offensive MVP to this point, who are you giving it to and why? Wow. Offensive MVP, Xavier Restrepo. He's made all the plays. Yeah, I think he's had every opportunity. I think he, he has been the most reliable guy week to week to week um, in terms of not disappointing you. Um yeah, and listen, it's not to, we know Tyler is over targeting. Yes. But Xavier's still making the plays. Everything they throw at him, he's catching. He makes plays after the catch. He's tough as nails, and the guy's out there pretty much for every snap. The other guy I would give it to is Matt Lee, who's the number one center in the country, according to PFF. And again, I know Pro Football Focus's grades are different. I know he had the bad snap that led to the fumble on Saturday. But Matt Lee, when you look at offensive linemen and some of the grades, and, and I and I updated all this. First among centers, Jalen Rivers, 22nd. And this is among power five guys, by the way. Uh, Jalen Rivers, 22nd among offensive tackles. Uh, and then your other guys, Cohen, 89th uh, among guards. Uh, and as Cooper, 104th. And then Francis Mawigoa, 88th. This is Usually each of these position groups go about 250 deep. So they're all in the upper half, all in the top 100, except for Cooper at their respective positions. So um offensive line has been very very good and, and until saturday i would say they were probably as a unit the, the the best offensive unit to this point even with the receivers doing everything because they were giving tyler time i think and and producing really well yeah i agree and like we said before the season even started i thought the addition of matt lee would be the biggest thing on that offensive line because people don't realize how a good center changes an offensive line uh and how good it could be i mean he's night and day above what jakai clark was and and cory gainer who went over to North Carolina and started committing penalties over there and missing blocks. Good job, Corey. <laughs> Restrepo, by the way, the second best receiver among power five uh, in terms of overall grade from pro football focus. So Jacoby George, 13th, Colby Young, 127th. Again, 
Usually each of these position groups go about 200-something deep. Uh, again, so you're, they're grading out well. Tyler Van Dyke, fifth-best quarterback, according to PFF. Uh, among the running backs, Don Chaney Jr., 31st, Henry Parrish, 38th, A.J. Allen, 79th. Um, on the defensive side, who do you give the MVP to, the first-half MVP? First-half MVP? Oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to have to go Ruben Bain. I can respect that. I, I'm actually going to go with Jaden Davis. And I know he gave up. Guy. Yeah, I, he gave up uh, the touchdown, obviously, to Tez Walker. Not an easy assignment. But I thought he was key in the Texas A&M win. And that's been their biggest win to this point. Uh, cornerback was my biggest concern coming into this season. And I feel better about that group as a whole. Yeah. And and it's it's sad to see that, you know, after the injury, like you mentioned in your article, Cam hasn't been the same guy. And, and James Williams has been uh, undisciplined in terms of his coverage on occasion. So the, the the secondary is starting to regress a little bit as the, the what's the strong point of that secondary. The safeties were supposed to hold it down. Now they're starting to collapse a little bit and making it a little bit tougher for the corners to to hold up their end of the bargain, too. Yeah, and, and, and as Lance Guidry said today in his press conference, at times, you know, maybe guys are, are sort of shedding some of their responsibilities because they're trying to make a play, right? They're trying yep. to, to uh, make up for whatever issue. And, and and that happens when teams play with pace. You're a little confused. Hey, I'm just going to do this. Cam Kitchens ranks 102nd among safeties. James Williams, 74th. Uh, Williams has the better overall grade, 71.6 from Pro Football Focus. Davis ranked 41st among cornerbacks. Next is Daryl Porter. He's 52nd. To Corey Couch, 64th. And then Devontae Brown, who's played 111 snaps, hasn't started a game, but has the, the fourth most action uh, among uh, corners. Uh, he ranks 138. So those are your corners. And then it's at linebacker, Francisco Marigo has been pretty solid. He ranks 72nd among linebackers. Uh, KJ Cloyd, 165th. Um, Corey Flagg, 37th. But he's, you know, he hasn't started. He's no longer started. He's playing about, uh, I don't know. 20-something snaps a game. Mm -hmm. Wesley Bassaint, 159th. And then uh, in terms of your other defensive linemen, the highest-ranked guy, uh, Leonard Taylor, defensive tackle, uh, 14th. Uh, I know he didn't have any pressures. I know a lot of fans were complaining about him. He had zero him. tackles, zero pressures, zero everything in that last game. Yeah, that was not a good performance. Thomas Gore, who comes off the bench, is actually rated the sixth-best defensive tackle, but he's only played 93 snaps. So he's uh, it's kind of limited opportunities, and he just doesn't have the size. You can't put him out there. It's kind of no. like sprinkle him in. Um, Jafari Harvey ranks 146th among edge rushers. Bain, I already mentioned, 14th. Um, Jared Harrison Hunt, 157th. He's made four starts. 201 snaps, 65.3 grade, which makes him very sort of pedestrian, not not necessarily uh, special. Branson Dean obviously has been dang, uh, dinged up. He started two games, 122nd among the D tackles. Um, and that's it, um, Carlos. Uh, any other categories? Let me see here. Let me go back to my trusty sheet. Uh, biggest strength on the team? Biggest strength on the team. Wow. Early in the season, I would have said offensive line. I think I'm gonna go with the offensive line. I think they're they're probably the most consistent group out of uh, all the groups. I agree with you. I think uh, we will see this week against Clemson whether or not we regret it. But I think yeah. uh, they they've been of the course most you know consistent group. part for the course. As soon as we say offensive line, guess what's gonna happen? Yeah, they're gonna rush for negative seventy five yards, nineteen sacks, and then we're gonna look like crap. But that's fine. Biggest weakness. Biggest weakness. Um, hmm. Uh, I don't even know if this, this isn't really, you can't attribute it to, to a position group, but I think just turnovers, inability to create them 
and inability to hang on to the football on the offensive end. That to me has been the biggest weakness for the team thus far. I mean, if you want a position group, uh, I'd probably tight ends. They're minus three right now in uh, the turnover margin. Uh, they've they've only produced nine turnovers. They've coughed it up twelve times uh, to to back up your point. Yeah, being uh, minus seven the last two weeks doesn't help. Here's an interesting one. Most important remaining game. I'm going to go with Clemson this week because while they could ultimately recover the following week against Virginia and still go eight and four, I think from a national narrative perspective and a recruiting perspective, you beat Clemson this week, you kind of send a message, hey, we do have things sort of going in the right way. Obviously, the rivalry with Florida State will always be the most important game. But I think Florida State's better than them, and that's not the seminal fan in me, as some of you have accused me of being. <laughs> uh, saying that, I think that's a, a much tougher ask to go on the game on the road and win in Tallahassee, especially after you got your ass kicked last year, forty-five to three. I think this is the more winnable game, and I think if you win it, it sets a different tone. People can't say, "Hey, you're zero and six at home in ACC play." Listen, I, I think. People don't understand uh, how big a Florida State fan you are. Your Halloween costume is actually Chief Osceola. And you've gotten like one of those old school little brooms and put like a horse thing on it so you could yeah. gallop around your neighborhood. Yeah. Trick or treating. You got Chief Osceola. You're gonna you're gonna get like a little uh a little one of those tiki torches. You're yep. gonna be spiking it in people's lawns as you grab candy. Exactly. All over the place. Listen, I, I I agree with you. I think this is the most winnable game because one, it's at home. Uh, two, Clemson's a little bit down this year, and it's going to be the one they're most healthy for. I think the earlier the game is in the season, the better for the Hurricanes because you don't know which who you might lose as time goes on in terms of injuries. And again, like to your point, if they win this game, it's not only a boost for recruiting, boost in the, the eyes of the nation. Although everybody will still talk crap and say, "Oh, you beat a down Clemson team," it took this crappy Clemson team for you to get a win against them. Um, It'll help the locker room. I think it'll help them yeah. gain confidence. 100%. I think starting 0-3, having three losses in a row, and feeling like you can't beat a good ACC opponent, that'll wear on this team mentally. And you'll probably see a crappy performance against Virginia. They'll beat them, but they'll probably play like crap. It won't be the 2-1, 15-inning uh, barn burner that we saw last year and Jake Garcia winning on a pass ball. Um, it'll be you know a little bit more comfortable, but it won't be the performance that you would want from this team against Virginia leading into Florida State. I think that they beat Clemson. They've got momentum. They've got confidence. They shake loose a couple of disappointments with Virginia, with uh, the Georgia Tech and North Carolina game and just set themselves up for having their destiny within their hands to to see what they could do the rest of the year. All right. And and prediction for the Is final. Is that positive enough, people? Is that I positive think, enough I think, for you? I think, I think you hit the positive juice, uh, whatever that positivity mustard, you sprinkled it on there. Um, all right, prediction for the rest of the season, Carlos. I'm yeah. gonna go first. You can go right after. I, right, I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say they finish eight and four. They beat Clemson this week. I think they lose to Florida State, and then I'm still expecting some crazy thing to happen to them this year again down the road. Who knows if it's because of injuries, uh, if it's an NC State team that's just desperate decides to show up on a Thursday night or not a Thursday night, but a, a Saturday night and play out of its mind. Um, it, it, it always seems to happen to this team. And mm -hmm. and so I, I do think that they're going to beat Clemson this week, though. I do. Listen, I think eight and four is the, the conservative approach. I think that's a realistic uh, expectation. If they beat Clemson, in my mind, I think they finish nine and three. 
maybe they do. There you go. Listen, I took I took the positivity mustard and I put it on the, the positive kielbasa, the big positive <laughs> kielbasa, and I stuffed it down my throat. All right, never mind. That didn't go the way I wanted it. That that was not well planned. No. Forgive me for that imagery. <laughs> We're gonna strike that. We're gonna edit that from the podcast. Oh boy. Um, all right. I'm gonna go to our mailbag and I appreciate a lot of people sending questions in. I know there's a lot of feelings. Um, voicing your concerns to us like we're HR. Yes. Uh, this is from Myrick McCray, MJ underscore McCray. He wants to know, Carlos, is Raul from Hylia concerned at all about the tight end position uh, being missing in action this season? Tight end as a position group has less than five catches. We've obviously talked about this already. How worried is Raul about tight ends? Raul's never worried about tight ends because Raul's got his eye on tight ends at all times, baby. I can tell you that right now. Raul ain't worried about that. Um, now, if you want to hear what Raul's worried about, go to my podcast that I just uploaded today and hear his rant. And he'll tell you exactly what he's feeling. <laughs> all right. This is from J.K. Slay. Back to my Leonard Taylor question. Can we stop lying? He's a decent role player, but no game changer. He is what he is. We have seen the ceiling. Do you agree with that? J.K., first of all, uh, I love you, man. Thank you for the participation week in and week out. You bumped this question earlier in the week uh, after the game. Uh, you've resurfaced it again one more time uh, as if we were resurfacing the Titanic after scavenging for it. Buddy, who hurt you? What is what is your axe to grind with Leonard Taylor? I get it. It's not playing well. But my man, what, what's with the crusade? Why? Why are you hunting this guy down at all points on all social media platforms? I've seen you do a TikTok dance dissing Leonard Taylor. What's going on, K. Slay? Come on, J.K. Slay. Let it go. But yes, he has not played well. Yeah, this is not the Leonard Taylor we expected. Six tackles, one tackle for loss, one sack. I know he's put together some pressures. I don't have the defensive, all of the defensive numbers in front of me. Let me see if he I can. He threw call a total goose eggs this past game, so that's not good. Yeah, Ruben Bay needs a team with 19 pressures. Leonard Taylor has six. Um, yeah, again, somehow he's rated in the top 14 in the ACC. Listen, some guys at PFF, I'm not going to accuse them. Of like smoking stuff or picking mushrooms near Gainesville, but but dude, what? Yeah, listen, he's they need production. He, they're not getting enough of it from him right now. This is from Cuban Kane with a K, Mister Draper Five on Twitter. How is this a rebuilding job when you have a veteran quarterback and other players? This program needs a clean sweep, rebuild. Some people, Carlos, don't think Mario Cristobal is the guy. What is your response to Cuban Kane? Okay, first of all, love the name. Uh, that's my identity. That's my spirit animal as Cuban King. Um, the the wholesale change that we saw from last year to this year um, and, the, and the influx of talent, because I think they're a much better team in terms of talent on the roster this year than they were last year. I think that's, that's evident by the way they're playing. Um, the issue is you saw how bad that roster was last year and how much it takes to flip it over and how much you need behind it to continue to improve. It's not just the frontline players. You need depth, and that's the biggest issue with this team right now. You have some really good players that are starters. You need a little bit more depth. You need a little bit more seasoning as you go along, and it'll get there with recruiting classes. Like I said last week, Mario Cristobal is not going to win you any games when it comes to X's and O's, uh, in-game coaching, any of that kind of stuff. He's Ed Orgeron. Right, That is who Mario Cristobal is. But he will load the roster at some point. He will get this roster to the point where all he's he's going to be is a Joe Burrow away or, or a one player away from winning a national championship because he's got so much talent that's so overwhelming, they have no choice but to win. Okay. That's how he says it. Columbus Kane here. 
We will go. Will we go after a transfer quarterback this offseason and also start to recruit higher rated, more ready high school quarterbacks? All right. Yes, there's not any big name high school quarterbacks committed to this program right now. I know we, we like five stars and four stars and all those kind of stars. Will they go after a transfer quarterback? Yeah, I think so. I think they always look at the market. It's what's available and who wants to come here. You know, Shannon Dawson has been around a while. I know from talking to recruits, he's somebody that they know, uh, somebody that they're familiar with. So I'm sure he probably has guys that he's recruited in the past that they will look into tapping and, and seeing if they can bring them in here. Uh, I don't think they're going to go into next season just saying, okay, Tyler Van Dyke's leaving. We're going to just stick with Jakari Brown and Emory Williams and bring in, you know, Judd Anderson from the freshman from Georgia. Um, I think it's going to be whatever it takes to win. And I would expect nothing less from Mario. Yeah. And listen, before we keep going, um, your Ed Orgeron sounds like Randy Macho Man Savage. Just wanted to say that. <laughs> Thank uh, <you>. <laughs> it's honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they go after somebody in the transfer portal, but only if it's a right fit. If you think it's a guy that could get you to the next level and push you along a little bit further than Emory Williams. And as far as not high rated quarterbacks, Emory Williams and Jakari Brown are both elite 11 quarterbacks, I believe. Uh, so that's nothing to sneeze at. They're very talented guys. They have a lot of ability. So you've got a couple quarterbacks on the roster that have developed properly should be the next guy, right? We'll see. I don't know. It all depends on the, how the season ends. Andrew under, uh, Andrew V underscore 17. Did the new, def, did the new defensive coordinator for Georgia tech find out how to expose TVD last two games alone? He has five picks in the run game. Not as good as we thought question mark. And are you concerned about our run defense moving forward? A lot to digest there, Carlos. We've covered some yeah, that, of these that topics. Was, that was, let's uh, let's take this one by one because I am not uh, – uh, my memory is not that great. I've had a lot of uh, head did, trauma did, throughout my years. Did Georgia Tech's D.C. expose TVD? No. Florida State's did uh, two years ago. That's the first one to start playing different coverages and forcing TVD to throw the middle field into traffic. That's the guy who started it. But, yes, they did capitalize on what they saw – from Georgia Tech a week ago. I think if you notice, every third down and long, North Carolina was dropping eight into coverage. They only rushed three and forced TBD to find an open window amongst those eight guys in the zone coverages. Um, and he just couldn't do it. That just it didn't work out for him. And not that Dawson helped them in terms of the route concepts, because it seemed like Dawson was shocked every time they would drop eight, and he was running these routes right into the coverages. Like, what is going on here? How can we not find somebody open? How are we not getting separation? Because you're running the same plays and not anticipating what they're... I can't even do this, Manny. I can't even do this, because it's... I'm going to give myself an ulcer, and I'm too young for that shit. Okay? Next question on this 15-question uh, dissertation this guy asked. Is the run game not as good as they thought it would be? I will say this. They're 28th in rushing yards per game right now. And I said I thought they would run for over 2,000 yards. They're averaging 191 a game and on pace for 22, almost 2,300 yards. I think the issue became this past game. And like you said, they got behind and they had to abandon the run game, which which mm -hmm. hurt them. Um, I also think they're lacking diversity in the run game. You're seeing a lot of inside zone, inside zone, a couple counters here and there, not a lot more than that. I think they need to diversify their running game. Like I talked about with the Dolphins, how they use motion formations and shifts to get into basic run plays, but confuse the defense from how they get into those plays. I think that helps. Are you concerned about the run defense? Yes. I was at the start of the season and I continue to be. Especially when teams play with pace. All right, this is from Von Kane. Uh, why is TVD suddenly taking forever to throw? Seems like he's staring down his receivers or underneath zones, his kryptonite. How do we get the run game going again? Okay, so yes, TVD is always staring down receivers. He just hasn't developed that ability to use eye discipline to move the defense. Um, it's never been one of his strengths. 
to to move the defense with his eyes. Um, the issue is he stares down receivers because he's not comfortable reading the zone. He's expecting something to be there, and it, when it doesn't materialize, he just goes to Xavier Restrepo. That's his problem. How do you get the run game going? I think you get the overall offense going by using more of those two-by-two receiver sets, four-wide, one-running-back formations to help spread the field, create some more lanes inside, and use the uh, horizontal pass game with the bubble screens, quick screens, RPOs to widen the defense and open things up and lighten that box to be able to squeeze some guys in there in, in the run game. This is from Trigger Trey, and I and I don't know the answer, Trigger Trey, but I'm going to read your question because I appreciate you sending it in. What happened to someone earning number one in the offseason? Not sure if you've mentioned it before, but I was just curious. It's a good question. Earning uh, the number one? Yeah, I remember Mario made a big deal about who gets to wear the number one and all that last year. But, oh well. Ryan Samuels, 43. Uh, what do you think the team must do to get to that next level of competitiveness? For me, it's limiting turnovers and dumb penalties. How can this be done, though? I'll say this for the dumb penalties. They rank 112th in penalties per game. Turnovers, I mentioned they've had 12 already this year. Uh, that's an average of two per game. Uh, that's not good. Uh, yeah. You've got to play smarter. That's it. Exactly. you got to be more disciplined. And I think that's been the theme for this team for a long, long time, is lack of discipline and focus. When you get guys wanting to do their own thing to try and be heroes – um, that becomes an issue. I think even Jaden Davis, like you, you were talking about, Jaden Davis, when the ball got thrown deep to Tez Walker and he was there stride for stride with him, rather than continuing to play through the ball on Tez Walker in the end zone, he decided to jump up and try and make a pick at it or try and bat it down from the air and you just couldn't get there. Um, sometimes you just got to play through the receiver, do the fundamental things, the small things, the things that you're supposed to do, do your job, and that equals big games because you're not giving up huge plays because you're not where you're supposed to be. You do more damage by freestyling than by doing your assignment. This is from Tony Perez, the big Chilean 63. Will the season spiral out of control or is this team actually different? At what point does Mario begin to lose the locker room? I can tell you from being on the ground in uh, Chapel Hill for the game, there were a lot of tears, a lot of anger. I didn't see guys necessarily quit. I didn't see a lot of indifference. They were emotional about losing this game. And I don't think any of that is fake. So to me, I think as long as they still care, uh, you're going to see them fight. I don't know that they're going to necessarily lose this locker room. Maybe if they get killed by Clemson, maybe if like they have a, a, a ridiculous loss against Virginia or something like that, maybe then. But I, I I don't get the sense. I do think this team is different. Yeah, I think if they get Molly walked by Virginia by uh, Clemson again, then that's that's a problem. David Hernandez, D Hernan underscore. Is, uh, he says his take is Daryl Porter is the de defensive MVP through six games. And then his question is, what's your take on the passing game? I think Smith and the tight end should be used more. Yeah, I think we've we've kind of hit all those topics pretty hard, David. We'll move on to the next one. See you next week, David. <laughs> Stop Cop City, Taco Thunder 5 on Twitter. Wow. Well, the decision to not kneel the ball against Georgia Tech not only derail this season, but guarantee Mario never gains the control of this program again. That he needs to lead it. Are we now certain to be coach shopping within a couple of seasons? Wow. You talk about do you, we we pee on parades, my friends. Yeah. We I, get dark and gloomy. Now this man has gone way off. He's gone to the upside down from Stranger Things. He's gone all the way dark. My answer to you, uh, stop cop city is no stop I, Mar open up shop. <laughs> yeah. Mario's got a 10-year contract. I, I don't think Miami goes coach shopping until we hit the halfway point of that and and then and things are really disastrous like really bad 
I just think he's got job security because he signed a 10 year, $80 million deal. It's just the way it is. Yeah. And I think eight and four, nine and three, if he's consistently that, even if he's not, you know, overwhelmingly uh, successful being 10 and two, 11 and one, 12 and 0 elites, you know, he's going to stay. I don't think they're going to fire him if he's winning nine games a season. Ben Pfeiffer, B52 on Twitter. Thoughts on lack of tight end usage in the passing game, stacked room with a lot of young talent around Cam. Yeah, we, we've talked about this quite a bit, Ben. They got to use it more. And maybe Elijah Royals come back this week. We'll, we'll sort of get that started. Carlos, I'm going to move on to the next one just because we've been asked about that uh, a few times. Rashard Smith question. All right, this is from Jay Salter, JRSAR23. Aren't the Canes exactly who we thought they were in the preseason? Young, talented team with not much depth. Hey, listen, you've, you've read my mind. I started off with the whole Herm Edwards, we are who they thought they were. So thank you, sir. Great minds think alike. Yes, you are absolutely correct. They lack depth. They are not, they're young-ish, but uh, I, they're just not there yet. I think if they finish 8-4, 9-3, it's a big success. Natty or bust, keep the standard. Understand you are running a business. I refuse to talk about how eight and four is an improvement. This is according to our buddy Land found on Twitter. Natty or bust. I love the fact he keeps the standard, Carlos. There's still still fans who expect keep the standard. Keep the standard. But what, what what where have you been for the last twenty years, my friend? I love you, man. I love you, Land found. But over the last twenty years, if your standards have been natty or bust. You've been drinking beer and fishing uh, during Hurricane Saturdays for a long time before the season's even halfway over because we have not had many opportunities to even get sniffing, near sniffing a national title or a 10-win season <laughs> aside from that 2017 year. So, I mean, dude, the reality is you even your short-term memory is, is, is a concern. Do you remember how bad last year was? Do you remember how yeah. awful they were? Five yeah. and seven? Do you yeah. remember? Yeah. Okay. I mean – this is from Gary's guys. Not sure why everyone is freaking out. I get it's Miami and the expectations are sky high, but we have shown clear progress since last year and have recruiting momentum. Regardless of the recent losses, it seems the program is in the best place it's been in a while. Thoughts? All right, Carlos, we'll end it with that one because we got we got a few other ones, but we're just we're, we're kind of going long here. To his point, do you think they're still on time? Do you think they're still on schedule at um, nine and nine in two seasons? Currently, no. Uh, they should be, what, 10 and 8? <laughs> yeah. That's where they should be. Um, so they're currently behind schedule. But I think a win, like you said, against Clemson helps that. I think they finished the year 8-4, and 9-3. and three. That's a huge step forward for this program, specifically if they finish 9-3 and three and beat Clemson. Um, that helps boost recruiting. That helps boost momentum. It helps boost the R of the program. Then you get yourself into a, a better bowl game. You get a bowl win, and now you've got momentum heading to the offseason. That, that, to me is uh is where where the sort of balance lies of the season i don't know what on schedule means anymore for the university of miami carlos uh it's been 20 years that they've been trying to get this right and the one thing i can i can tell miami fans is mario cristobal cares he's trying to get it right uh he's got a lot of people supporting him trying to get it right i don't think we live in a world where everything is linear just because Nick Saban got to Alabama in his second year one doesn't mean that that should happen at Miami just because it happened with Urban Meyer at Ohio State that he won in his second year doesn't mean it should happen at Miami every situation is different everything coaches inherit um, is different I I'll say this for Mario as you've eloquently put and I've written in a column He's not going to win you games with strategy, just not his thing. He is going to mess up in that area. 
But I would much rather have a Mario Cristobal coaching my program than a lot of other coaches because, A, he cares. It's not just a job for him. It's it's a life, right? This is his life. This is his passion. He wants to make it work. He knows how to make it work. He had success building really good rosters at other places, including FIU and Oregon and Alabama when he was an assistant there. So he has the experience. See, he learns from his mistakes, right? He fired his Josh Gaddis and a bunch of other assistant coaches. He made changes. I hate to tell Miami fans this, but this is as good as it's going to get, like in terms of what's available out there. Like I, I, to me, whenever people say, hey, it's time to get rid of the coach, time to hit the reset button, all that kind of stuff. It's like, why? Do you have a better replacement? Do you have somebody better, you know, to bring in here that really wants this job that's going to take it on the way that it needs to be taken on? Miami just started spending money on football. They just started investing it in, in ways that it should have. Uh, and for years, they didn't do that. And now they've got somebody who, yes, he blew a game against Georgia Tech. And yes, he hired the wrong coordinators and, and all these. But this is a process and it's going to play out. And we will not know for another three or four years whether or not Mario Cristobal was the right hire. I just know this. If he wasn't the right hire, I don't know who ever would be. Again, I, I just don't know who that guy is. I don't know that that person exists because the expectations for this place and the deliverables, the things that they need, they don't have their own on-campus stadium. They, they're they building a 300, you know, whatever it is, $150 million practice facility, forever football home, all that other, all these things that other people have had, Carlos, they're just getting to. That's a disadvantage. You're, you're at a disadvantage at the University of Miami. I don't care how much talent you have in your backyard. None of these kids grew up with Miami winning. None of them. None of them were born when Miami won a national championship. All they hear is their parents say, yeah, go to the U because it was awesome once. It's not an easy program to inherit, not an easy thing to turn around. And to your point about Mario being the guy, uh, or the, probably the best guy for the job, his passion, his love for this university is unmatched. And he he exudes that in everything he does. And I think even the recruits feel that from him. They feel that passion. They feel that sincerity about his love for the program. And that's why he's landing recruits in an environment right now where he's at a disadvantage in terms of recruiting resources, abilities to sell things, and even results on the field. So in the face of all those negatives, all those things that should be hindrances, he's still pulling players that he shouldn't be pulling and coming up with a big-time recruiting class. And that speaks to his passion for the program and his passion for recruiting. And that, above all everything else, you know, the ability to bring in talent, to acquire talent, to build a roster, that will lead you to success more often than just a guy who's great at X's and O's. Agreed. And and usually, you know, guys will leave. This is this isn't a you know where, where coaches are around for a long time. That doesn't really happen anymore in college football, right? Everybody's looking for the next job. So much is changing. The twelve team playoff is coming. I think there's a lot of opportunity here for him to have success. It's just getting there. And, and I told Big O this on in, in my Saturday night appearance on his show right after the game. Miami fans have been sleeping on the same mattress for 20 years. And nobody likes sleeping on a shitty mattress. And Mario inherited this mattress that's 18, 19 years old. And it's hard to just flip it over and and change it all quickly. Like you can't just go out and buy yourself a winner. Even though NIL is, is a big helper in today's game, you can't just go out and buy the best players. That's not the way it works. They want to be improved. They want to have growth. They want to have an opportunity to go to the NFL. When you're building a program, 
it takes a lot of work and a lot of steps. And I think yeah, using, using four or five of those bed, bath and beyond discount coupons and yeah. picking up some new sheets and pillows. It's not enough, man. It takes no. a while. You got to build that thing up. And I think he's, he's started the foundation. I think the other thing is, I think hurricanes fans, the expectation is that, Oh, when we get it right, it's going to be the dynasty again. It's going to be that dynastic eighties, early nineties hurricanes. And, and people need to adjust their expectations. And like we we're talking about, success is not necessarily linear. They could finish nine and three this year and dip back down to eight and four, seven and five because of the change in the roster, and then be more youthful, but having more talent overall. They may be having a more difficult schedule. It all depends. And I think the the thing is, you shouldn't be aiming for being Georgia, right? You shouldn't be the aiming to be the Nick Saban Alabama dynasty. You shouldn't be aiming to even be your own dynasty from the eighties and nineties. I think if you become Michigan and you're competing year in and year out, getting into the playoff and having an opportunity to play for a national championship, that to me is what – I think that's what the future holds for the most part. And you'll squeeze off a championship here and there every five to six years. That to me is a success. All right, Carlos. Hopefully we start to see some progress, maybe a win against Clemson this week. We'll get Miami fans a little bit of a boost there because we're too negative for them for sure. Yeah, no, no. That, you know what I need then? I need whatever shot combo Canes United is dropping down – the ice sculpture to hit me right here in the mouth. That's going to be more positive. All right, brother. Thank you for coming on. Make sure you follow Carlos on Twitter at Eledo1307, E-L-L-E-D-O-1307. But only if you're going to be cool, if you're going to be a dick, forget I even mentioned that. Uh, also <laughs> at MIA All Day Pod. That's the one I rarely tweet from. So if you want to be an asshole, go tweet me on that one. You heard the man. Uh, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic if you can. Follow this podcast on YouTube. Be an or- athletic supporter. Be an athletic supporter. There you go. Wherever you can help out. All right. For Carlos Ledo, I'm Manny Navarro. We will see you guys later. Peace.